Hello and welcome to 2021 October's Fellows Choice Podcast, where we will outline the highlights of the current issue of the International Journal of Gynaecological Cancer. I'm Emma Allenson, a Gynaecological Oncology Fellow with the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. I am Natalia Rodriguez, a Gynaecologist Oncologist attending at Valdebron University Hospital in Barcelona, Spain. This study is the CONCERM, a prospective trial of conservative surgery for low-risk early-stage cervical cancer. In this prospective single-arm multicenter study, Dr. Esmeller from the Andy Anderson Cancer Center evaluates the feasibility of a conservative surgical approach in patients with low-risk early-stage cervical cancer. 100 patients with uh, stage 1A2 and 1B1 from 16 sites and 9 countries were enrolled in the study from April 2010 to March 2019. Eligibility criteria also included histology, squamous cell, any grade, or adenocarcinoma grade 1 or 2. Not lymphovascular invasion and no metastasic disease tumor size less than 2 cm and depth of invasion less than 10 mm. Surgery included conization followed by a lymph node assessment, 44 women, conization followed by simple hysterectomy and lymph node assessment, 40 women, and inadvertent simple hysterectomy followed by lymph node dissection, 16 women. The median follow-up time was 36 months, Positive lymph nodes were not in 5% of patients. Residual disease in the post-conitiation hysterectomy group was not in 1 from 40 patients, failure rate of 2.5%. Three patients developed recurrent disease within two years of surgery, cumulative incidence of 3.5%. This study shows that solid patients with low-risk early-stage cervical cancer may be offered conservative surgery. In this next study, Dr. Raimondo Delello presents an interesting article regarding the effect of bevacizumab-containing therapy on the risk of thromboembolic events in ovarian cancer patients. They report on the incidence of thromboembolic events and the prevalence of antithrombotic therapy in patients enrolled in the single-arm phase 4 MITO16 MANGO-OV2A trial. From October 2012 to November 2014, 398 eligible patients were enrolled. 76 patients, or 19.1%, were receiving some type of anticoagulant or anti-aggregant treatment at baseline. Overall, 24 thromboembolic events were reported, with a cumulative incidence of 6%. The occurrence of thromboembolic events was not associated with baseline patient characteristics and was not modified by the use of antithrombotic prophylaxis, with a hazard ratio of 0.60 and a confidence interval of 0.18 to 2. The occurrence of thromboembolic events was not associated with progression-free survival, hazard ratio 1.34, or overall survival, hazard ratio of 0.78. Thromboembolic events, therefore, were not associated with the clinical characteristics of the patients or with the use of antithrombotic prophylaxis, nor did they significantly affect the long-term prognosis. The second study is Evulvan Cancer in Botswana in women with and without HIV infection patterns 
of treatment and survival outcomes. Emily McDuffie and colleagues from the University of Pennsylvania present interesting data on the presentation, treatment patterns and outcomes of women with vulval cancer in Botswana. A cohort of women presenting between 2015 and 2019 were analyzed. Botswana is a sub-Saharan African nation with a population of 2 million and an HIV infection rate in women aged from 15 and 45 of 25%. Of the 120 women in this cohort, 89% were women living with HIV. 95 of the patients in the cohort received treatment, 25 or 20% had surgery, 81 or 67% received radiation, and 29 or 24% receive chemotherapy, either alone or in combination with radiation or surgery. The median follow-up was 24 months with a three years overall survival of 63%. The median survival of women living with HIV was 26 months, whereas it was 10 months in women without HIV. Although the authors point out that the cohort of women without HIV was small in all patients early stage disease at diagnosis and patients that underwent surgery as a part of the treatment were both associated with improved survival. However, overall survival across the stages was poor as compared with pulver cancer patients in high income countries. In this next article, the predictive validity of the ACS-NSQIP risk calculator in ovarian cancer patients undergoing interval debulking surgery, Dr. Manning-Geist evaluates the accuracy of the risk calculator in a retrospective multi-centre cohort study from January 2010 to July 2015. The predictive accuracy of the ACS risk calculator in estimating postoperative complications and length of stay was evaluated using C-statistics and Briar scores. A total of 261 patients underwent open interval debulking surgery. The ACS-NSQIP risk calculator accurately predicted length of stay for only 32% of patients and could not accurately predict which patients were likely to have a prolonged stay or a postoperative complication. Therefore, the conclu conclusion of the authors was that the ACS-NSQIP risk calculator should not be used preoperatively to inform patients on postoperative complication risk or length of stay. Nantel from University Laval, Quebec, Canada present a retrospective study to evaluate the clinical outcomes of patients with type 2 endometrial carcinoma without biometrial infiltration of limiting to a polyp. A total of 25 patients with a type 2 stage 1A adenocarcinoma were surgically staged with total hysterectomy, salpingo ophorectomy and lymph nodes assessment. All patients have either lysis limited to the endometrial, 60% of a polyp, 40%. Only four patients have lymphovascular space invasion, 16%. Six patients, 24%, receive bold brachytherapy only and 
all others receive new adjuvant treatment after surgery. 76%. Free patients, 12%. Experience recurrences of 15, 21, and 55 months after surgery. Following systemic treatment all or alive and disease free. The three year progression free survival and overall survival were 91% and 100% respectively. The authors concluded that spectrum management with surveillance alone following surgery appears to be safe for patients with high-grade endometrial carcinoma limited to a polyp or the endometrial without myometrial invasion. In this next article, Lucia Mustaccio and colleagues present the protocol for the MITO33 study a randomised phase 3 trial on niraparib dostalamab versus phys- physician's choice chemotherapy in recurrent ovarian, fallopian tube or primary peritoneal cancer patients who are not candidates for platinum retreatment. The hypothesis of the trial is that the combination niraparib dostalamab will increase overall survival, progression-free survival and time to first subsequent therapy when compared to chemotherapy alone. Women with recurrent epithelial malignancy not eligible for platinum-based chemotherapy will will be eligible for inclusion in the trial, including those who have had previous treatment with PARP inhibitors or immune checkpoint inhibitors. The primary outcome will be overall survival. This study also includes an exploratory objective, whereby the relationship between PD-L1 expression and combined positive score, that is the number of PD-L1 staining cells, tumour cells, lymphocyte macrophages, divided by the total number of viable tumour cells multiplied by 100, and the efficacy of niraparib dostalamab is explored. 427 patients will be required to see an increase in the overall survival in the experimental arm with a hazard ratio of 0.7. It is estimated that the results will be presented in mid-2024. Dr. Anna Greer presents an original research about the impact of residual disease at interval the bulking surgery on platinum resistance and patterns of recurrence for advanced stage ovarian cancer. This is a retrospective analysis of patients with stage 3C4 epithelial ovarian cancer who were treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy and interval the bulking surgery. Patients were classified into three groups based on volume and distribution of residual disease, patients with complete surgical resection and those with remaining disease with maximal diameter of largest residual tumor node less than one centimeter, single location and less than one centimeter multiple location of disease. Recurrence free rates were 39%, 28% and 18% respectively. On an invariate and multivariate analysis, less than one centimeter multiple locations was, was associated with an increased risk of platinum resistance. There were no significant differences in the number of sites of disease and the time of recurrence, regardless of volume of disease left. Despite current classification as optimal, less than one centimeter multiple anatomic location and the time of interval the bulking surgery is associated with a shorter progression-free survival and increased risk of platinum resistance. 
In this next article, titled Uterine Transposition After Radical Trachelectomy, Dr. Diego Odetto from Hospital Italiano Buenos Aires and Dr. Ratan Ribeiro from Rasto Gardner Hospital, Curitiba, Brazil, present the case of a 27-year-old G1P1 patient diagnosed with a moderately differentiated 2cm squamous cell cervical tumour with no parametrial invasion, staged as a 2018 FIGO stage 1B1. After completion of uh, three cycles of paclitaxel and carboplatin, the patient underwent a radical abdominal trachelectomy with central node biopsy using blue dye and technetium to identify the central nodes. Oocyte cryopreservation was offered before starting treatment but the patient declined. A cyclage was placed before connecting the cervix to the vagina. Based on the final pathology, the patient was advised to complete treatment with pelvic radiation based on her settlers criteria. However, before radiation therapy, the patient who was keen to preserve the function of her uterus underwent a uterus transposition to the upper abdomen by laparoscopic approach. Prior to doing this, the authors uh, used a gonadotropin-releasing hormone analogue in order to induce amenorrhea. At 12 months of follow-up, the patient has no evidence of recurrence. The recommendations for follow-up include three monthly assessment for the first two years and six monthly uh, thereafter until the patient completes five years of follow-up. Hormonal function is measured once a year in order to diagnose early menopause. Chest x-ray is recommended yearly and pelvic MRI six months after surgery and then annually thereafter. The authors recommend considering uterine transposition for cervical cancer in highly selected cases. And in the final article of this podcast, Dr. Francesco Moro from the University Gemelli Hospital presents a video article showing two cases of ovarian metastases. The first video shows clinical, ultrasound, macroscopic and histological features of a patient with ovarian metastases from the biliary tract. The histology report described ovarian tissue infiltrated by adenocarcinoma with morphological and immunohistochemical features compatible with biliary tract carcinoma. The second video presents the clinical, ultrasound, macroscopic and histological features of a patient with ovarian metastases from colon cancer. The patient underwent an exploratory laparoscopy that confirmed the presence of bilateral adnexal masses with rectosigmoid compression. The final histology report was consistent with colon cancer ovarian metastases. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast and we'll see you again for the November edition.